Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Let me, uh, let me give you a preview of kind of what we've got going on. We've talked about the idea of being born again, about the changes that, make in, that makes in you. And uh, at the risk of your fearing that this is going to be boring, uh, it, I, it's not going to be boring. I hope it's not going to be boring. If it starts to get boring, tell me, and I'll tell more stories from the farm uh, or something like that, okay? But, um, but what we're going to be looking at, now that you've been born again, the next three sessions are going to talk about the new role now that God the Father has in your life, the new role that God the Son has in your life, and the new role that God the Spirit has in your life. So we're basically going to look at the Trinity. And I know that we all think that our eyes are supposed to glaze over when we talk about the Trinity. Well, not, we're, not going to, we're not going to delve into, you know, uh, all of the internal workings of the Trinity or all of the stuff that, you know, that anything you say about it, there's a 75% chance that you accidentally uttered heresy. Uh, we're not going to do any of that, okay? Instead, uh, we're just going to look at some, at some real practical things that you deserve to know because what makes your life as a believer healthy and what makes your life corporately as a church together healthy is that God does things in you in spite of who you are. Churches would be supremely unhealthy, and all of us would be a mess if all there were was just us in it. But, because that's the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is that people learned some stuff about God and were a part of God's people, but did not have the relationship with the triune God that's made possible through the gospel. And so what do we learn about the Old Testament? It tells us that the law was perfect. Everything they learned about God was exactly right. It's just that it couldn't make anybody any better than they were. And so the law serves as our tutor to lead us to Christ, to something that causes the divine power of God to change who we are. By the way, I've met several of you. I have not met all of you yet. But the most important thing about the breaks is that by the time we're finished with the breaks, I'm going to meet every one of you. And so if you don't want that, when we declare a break, you need to run quickly to a door <laughs> and go to the bathroom or something like that because I'm looking for those of you that I've not met to try to make sure that I get to meet you before we're done with all of this. So I can't speak authoritatively. I've not met all of you. I just met Iris a moment ago, for example. Uh, I've not met all of you. But I'm just going to say from those of you that I've met that if it weren't for Christ in you, that we would have problems. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, y'all are, uh, are, are sinful human beings, normal, fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And it's, it's the Christ in you that is the hope of glory. 
So let's take a look at our new relationship with God. We're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and think a little bit about what God the Father does for you and in you in your new relationship with him. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to hear about what the Father is up to. Who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. But you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So, first of all, Peter is telling us some things about God the Father that should be really comforting to us. We're going to take a look at the uh, truths that are given to us here, uh, starting in verse 3. Really, 1 and 2 talk about this too, but we really get into the crux of it here in verse 3. There's something comforting that you should know about your relationship with God in the past. And that is that God the Father saw to your salvation, saw to your being born again when you came into faith with Christ. Look at what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God the Father, we're told, has caused you at some time in your past when you were born again, God the Father caused you to be born again as a function of his mercy. And boy, it's, it's important for you not to fall into the trap of thinking primarily about God the Father as the one that Christ the Son rescued you from. We can fall into that kind of a way of thinking. And the fact is um, that it's completely appropriate to sing like we do in that new hymn to say that on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. It's completely true, completely accurate. But the punishment that was ours apart from the gospel was punishment delivered with equal zeal and enthusiasm by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not just by the Father. Go read the book of Revelation. Who shows up in the book of Revelation with a sword coming out of his mouth? Who shows up in the book of Revelation riding a white horse coming in to wreak destruction on everyone who's in rebellion? It's not the Father. It's Jesus. It's the Son coming to pour out the wrath of God upon the earth. And in the same way, Look at what we're told about the work of the Father. We're we're told that in a different place that God the Father was in Christ while Christ was on the church, reconciling the world to himself. So God the Father is not the meanie who has to be appeased by Jesus who's the hero who rescues us. from. God the Father has been in on the business of your salvation all the way along from the beginning. And it's not just, you know, I say God's been active in your past. I'm not just talking about like the moment you were born again. I'm not just talking about the moment that you were saved because he talks here about the fact that God the Father in verse 2 had foreknowledge of that. 
All right, there we go. Got it. So it's, uh, it, it's not like that at all. God the Father is merciful and loving, and God the Father caused you to be born again. Okay? So... Here's why that's important to me. Here's why that's comforting to me. Um, so the daughter, 17, she's got a boyfriend. Okay. I refer to him as that boy. And occasionally, and by the way, he's a believer. Uh, he um, actually grew up going to church and playing in the band with somebody who has written songs that you've probably heard before. A guy named Matt Boswell, who's a pastor in our association. Uh, he, he wrote the hymn that said, Our sins there are many, his mercy is more. I don't know if you've heard that song or not. But um, anyway, this is, a, this is a good Christian kid. And um, he's, got, he's got good theology. He's got good ethics and behavior. He's very respectful and kind and not good enough for my daughter. And um, so, anyway, uh, you know, occasionally I'll, uh, I'll come home from something, I'll walk in, and there's my wife, and there's my daughter, and there's that boy uh, who is here. And sometimes I'm kind of like, what are you doing here, uh, you know? And um, The father of the household of heaven never looks at me that way. That's the, that's the wonderful thing. It's, it's, not as though, it's not as though I'm Jesus' friend that he drug in one day for supper that dad looks and says, why is he here? What's he doing here? No, God has been in on the plan from the beginning about your being born again. And in mercy and kindness and love he has been looking after you from before you ever had any idea about it. So there's something comforting about the past, that God the Father in the past was the one who, who caused you to be born again. Also, we're told something about our future. He said, God, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You, you, you have a reserved spot with your name on it at the table of the wedding feast of the Lamb. God caused you to be born again in your past with a view toward the future where you have, you're mentioned in the will. You have an inheritance that's coming, that's identified in the will. And we're told that what you're going to obtain is never going to go away, never going to be defiled or polluted. It's not going to fade in any way at all. And it is set apart with your name on it. Um, I love, I, I think about this verse of Scripture, whether I should or not, uh, in that first Harry Potter movie where he goes to the bank with, you know, the, the goblins that are there and they, and they take him down 
uh, into the bowels of the of the the basement archives of the of the bank, huh? Yes, thank you. Okay, so we've got Tom Clancy back here, J.K. Rowling down here, uh, starting to put everything together here, and so you've you've got a guy who wa- who was a, a penniless orphan, and they open the door and walk in, and it's a vault filled with riches that his name has been on all along. His parents made sure that he was provided for. And so in the same way, listen, God God has a vault with your name on it. God the Father has treasure in heaven and inheritance in heaven that is reserved in your name for you to claim someday. So it's comforting to me because it helps me to know that unlike the way it feels here sometimes, where the future's in doubt, I mean, I, I've thought before about, because you can do that these days, I've thought before about making a video to be played at my funeral. Uh, where I would say, hey, it's Bart, I'm 53, don't know how long I made it. Um, If you're watching this, I'm dead. Uh, And, and, you know, one of the things I think I would say on that is, I hope that at the time that you're watching this, that I have not dishonored the Lord. I hope that I've made it all the way to this day with integrity that I've made it all the way to this day with an innocent love for God still in my heart like it was when I was five and of course the reason you would make a video like that and say that you hope all of those things is because you're worried that they won't my mom passed away two days before the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting started this year Uh, She's been um, deteriorating from the effects of Alzheimer's disease for 23 years, which is an unusually long period of time to have Alzheimer's. Um, we uh, we We have a history of that in our family. Uh... I hear it stalking me in the hallway of the house at night. I was, it, for years, has been one of my great fears. And I've talked to Tracy, and I've said, my wife, I've talked to Tracy, and I've said, here's what we're going to do. The moment that I get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, you're going to check me into a memory care facility far away from here under an assumed name. Uh, because sometimes people's personalities change, and I'm afraid that after years of trying to serve Jesus, I'm going to be the lecherous old Alzheimer's man chasing the nurses in my wheelchair going down the hallway at the, at the nursing home. And I, and I don't want to dishonor Christ in some way later on. There, there are fears that we can have when we feel like we're still writing our story and that it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure book. that it helps to remember that God has already written the story all the way through to the end. 
And I'm, I may not know the route from here to there, but there is nothing that I'm going to do between now and then that will undo the fact that God has already reserved an inheritance for me and has promised that I can't defile it, that I can't destroy it, that I can't even wipe any of the shine off of it. It's unfading, he says. And so that's something comforting to know about God the Father. God the Father holds your future in his hands and has already told you something about what it's going to be. That's where your future is, okay? And then it tells us something comforting about God's relationship with the present for us. It says that we are people, verse 5, it's a treasure, it's an inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are presently protected by God, okay? Um, let me look around. Harlan, there he is right there. Harlan grew up non-progressive Church of Christ. He told me a minute ago. It's the first person I've ever heard put the non-progressive on it, which is really helpful because people tell me that they were Church of Christ, and I say, now, do you mean kind of Church of Christ, or do you mean that kind of Church of Christ? And so thank you, Harlan, for clearing that up. Uh, right off the bat. I didn't even have to ask the question. Um, so one of the things that I would love to tell, not just Church of Christ folks who are brothers and sisters in Christ, but also a lot of other people, is that they should, that they should take into serious stock the protecting power of God over all of those who are His. He is protecting you right now. It's not necessarily so much that you can't defile your inheritance, not necessarily so much that you can't put a, a fade on the shine of your inheritance, as it is that God is protecting you from doing that. And I know it feels like you've got some freedom to do some things, okay? But one of the things I love about the herd out at the farm uh, is the way that uh, I, just, I think there's something... I think there's something for us to learn in church work here if I could just learn the mystery of it. Somehow cattle are able to assign other cattle to nursery duty in a way that they can't get out of it. <laughs> because you'll go out there and they've nursed, all the mamas have nursed their babies. At least this is the way my girts do it. All the mamas have nursed their babies, and then they're like, I'm going to go get something to eat. And they, and they wander off to graze, and the babies don't want to go anywhere because their bellies are full, so they're going to stay there. And they'll leave a couple of cows back behind who will stay and watch the kids while the other mamas get to have a night out with the girls. And somehow they communicate this. I don't know how it is. And then when they do, once the others are gone, those two are stuck there. They're going to stay there no matter what happens. They're going to watch those little ones that are there. And the little ones think that they have the freedom to go wherever they want to go, taste whatever they want to taste, headbutt each other till, oh, I can't say till the cows come home. They are home. Um, but they... They think that they have freedom to do whatever they want to do 
until they do something that the ones who are protecting them thinks they should not do. And then what they run into is a 1,400-pound grown-up mama cow who comes in and explains to them that that's not safe and that they can't do that. And so I think about God that way. He, he's protecting us. He'll, he'll leave you to do some stuff. can feel kind of scary. You've got a little bit of freedom. You're, we talked about how you're liberated through the gospel, okay? But that liberation is something that takes place in the day-to-day reality of God the Father putting up fences around you to protect you from the devil, yes. From the bad people out there, yes. But also to protect you from you is what he does. Isn't that comforting to know that God the Father Every day, whether you pray and ask him to do it or not, God the Father every day is there protecting you for the sake of the future in heaven for all of us together. So those are some comforting things that we learn about God. And I just want to wrap up our look at this chapter. I want to tell you that the rest of this chapter is simply telling you what you can feel comfortable doing if you know these things about God. So let's take a look and see what it says. Um, uh, Let's skip down to verse 13. 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace. Now, it's really clear um, when when you read this in Greek that the main point of this is to fix your hope. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the first thing. Because of what God the Father is doing in your life, you can proceed in hope. Part of the reason why we get stuck sometimes in an unhealthy pattern of church life, of Christian walking as disciples, is because we throw in the towel and think we'll never win. You've been trying to defeat this particular sin, defeat this particular temptation over and over, over the course of months and months and months. I know my temper does not honor God. I'm at home. I fly off into a fit of rage. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do because just the, the, the immaturity and the ingratitude and, and, the, uh, and, and, and just the way that, you know, just it could be irritating, right? You just get to the point where, you know, you hoped and prayed for this, but, but then, you know, the reality is that it just gets on your nerves, Okay. And, and really, I'm just talking about your husband, your kids, even just to add on to that, right? And, and so, 
you've come to realize that you're a person with a temper. You're a person with a temper that does not honor God. You're someone who's struggled with that. You have a tongue that will say things that you shouldn't say, that you come back and regret. It's damaged relationships for you. It's caused your work at church to be more difficult as a church member, a committee member, or whatever else because of the fact that that you've said things that you shouldn't say, you've damaged relationships that you shouldn't have damaged, and, and, and along the way, you've had, you've had a dozen times that you knelt in your quiet time and said, this is the end of it, God, I'm tired of it, we're going to have victory now, I'm going to do better. And you did better for a little while until that one person who just really knows how to push the wrong buttons on you came along and, and, and you lost it again. And eventually, time four or time five or whatever else down the line, you just say, I'm never going to beat this. And I'm going to stop trying. You callous your heart to it and you throw in the towel and you go sit down on the sidelines. You think that you've said something to yourself about what you can or cannot do. But what you've really done is to look into the face of God the Father and say, you are too weak and little to protect me from that. I'm just asking you, does that really line up with what you believe about the God who saved you? And so what he says is, we should fix ourselves not on our doubts about what we can do. But instead, he says, we should fix our hope, verse 13, completely on the grace. Fix your hope completely on the grace. What's grace? Grace is God's favor to you when you don't deserve it. Fix your hope completely on that. And he points out two things in this verse that you can do on the basis of that that you can't do without it. If you fix your hope completely on the grace that's going to be revealed to you fully someday, someday down the line, it's there now. The grace that you're fixing your hope on is there now, but it's going to be brought and revealed to you where you see it fully and understand it fully later on. You fix your hope on that, and the first thing that that means is that you can get to work. Verse 13, prepare your minds for action. As a result of fixing your hope on the grace that's going to be brought to you. Committees and teams. You've got a list of committees and teams in front of you. Churches are full of people who won't teach a Sunday school class because they don't think they're good enough. They're doubtful about themselves. Full of people who won't sing in the worship service because they're doubtful about themselves won't serve on a committee won't serve on a team won't share the gospel I don't have time for that 
So, we can place our hope in Christ because we trust in what God the Father. If we have a Father who has guaranteed our future, who engineered our past, who's protecting us in the present, we can fix ourselves on that hope and optimistically, we can get to, bit, we can get to work about the business of the kingdom and we can stay sober-minded instead of being fearful all the time or dramatic all the time or whatever else. We can say, you know what? However I feel, whatever's going on in my life, the steady hand of God is protecting me and I can live in the knowledge of that. I can let that shape my attitude about what's going on right now. The sky is not falling. God is standing firm. Verse 15, he says that we can be holy in our behavior because of what God's doing in our lives. Think about all the great things that we're told that God's doing for us. God the Father is providing a way of escape for you when you're tempted. God the Father is providing protection for you against whatever's coming against you every day in your life. God the Father has revealed to you the Word. God the Father sent for you the Son. God the Father has sent to you the Holy Spirit. God's doing all of these things to enable you to be holy like he is holy. And maybe that's the best, biggest part of it right there. God the Father has walked before you in holiness to show you what holiness is. And calls you to join him in living in that way. And so because of what God the Father does in your life, you can be holy. He's the example that's given to us of holiness and we're called to be holy like him. And then, the last thing that it says here that I really need a lot of time to talk about, but I'm not going to take. It says that we can, in verse 17, that we should conduct ourselves in fear. You should conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of fear that paralyzes you in terror and causes you to wonder whether God is good. Um, I'm talking about... Uh, what we might call a healthy respect. But a lot of times when people say that, a reverent fear, a healthy reverent respect, they act as if there's no component of just fear, fear in it. But there's just plain fear in it too. It comes from respecting who God is and what God can do. Um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was a cotton farmer who also raised some pigs. And when my brother was... Um, I hope y'all are not people of such decorum that I'm going to get in trouble for tell, telling this story. When my brother was about seven, he went out with Grandpa, Papa Doc, to see the pigs. And while they were out there, uh, which was about you know 200 yards away from the house, while they were out there checking out the pigs, um, my brother said, Papa. I need to pee. Can we go back to the house? And my grandfather said, you know, he did, he's busy. He didn't want to go all the way back to the house. He said, well, I mean, you can just, you just pee here. And Blake said, okay. And Papa said, in fact, I bet you that you can't pee on that little wire down there. My brother has an inordinate level of respect for electric fencing <laughs> to this very day. Uh, so, but it's not, that he's a, it's not that he's terrified of electric fencing. He, he, 
He goes to places that we have. I have hot wires around the cattle. He comes and visits and whatever else. It's just that he never forgets what it can do. And, uh, and so in the same way, because we know that the only way we have the hope of heaven is because God has the power to, to cause us to be born again, to protect us, and to reserve things for us in heaven. We recognize that God is bigger than us, smarter than us, better than us, and way more powerful than us, and eternal beyond our finite lives. We realize those things about God. There's a fearful awe about him that can permeate our lives every day. One last thing, we're done. Let me tell you what the beauty is of that fearful awe. The, the fear of God is nothing to be afraid of. The fear of God is nothing to be afraid of. When you lose sight of the fear of God, that's when you go to the worship service and it really doesn't ring your bell. Because, you know, I'm just, I'm sure Matt does a great job. You do music, right? Yeah, I thought so. Trying to learn the organizational chart here. Just be patient with me. I'm sure Matt does a good job, but Matt's music is not what makes a worship service moving. I'm sure that other Matt does a good job, but Matt's preaching is not what makes a worship service moving. The idea that you are spending time in the presence of that immense, holy being who could crush you in a moment That is what, what makes a worship service intense. We forget about the power of God. Sometimes we treat God as though God were domesticated. I love the, uh, we went all around the world, J.K. Rowling and, and uh, Tom Clancy. Let's take a moment to talk about C.S. Lewis and say that, you know, in the, in the Narnia books, we're told that Aslan is not tame, but he's good. And that's an important distinction. Uh, when I was about uh, 16, uh, I went to visit a pastor friend uh, in Louisiana, and um, he had been my pastor, and then he'd moved, and we had a connection, and I went to see him at his home, and he took me to a zoo in Monroe, and um, we're walking through the zoo, and they had an exhibit with lions, and um, is there anything more disappointing than to visit lions at a zoo? because you're looking forward to like the king of the jungle and instead it's like grandpa taking a nap on the couch you know because that's all they're ever doing they're just lying out there taking a nap you can say everything you want to do you can do you can try to get their attention any way you want to get their attention they don't care they just don't care 
They're just going to lie out there and sleep. And so you're pretty obnoxious at 16, or at least I was. And, uh, and we're there, and we're trying to get the lion's attention, and we can't get the lion's attention. And finally, you know, we like, we turn and we go off to something else. And as I turned and walked away, I said, in the way that only a teenage boy can do it, I said, I'm not afraid of you. I think by the provident hand of God, the lion chose to roar at that moment. And I had heard about lion roars before, but I had never heard the roaring of a lion before. And just let me tell you, if you've never experienced it, you feel it as much as you hear it. It is a, it is a, it is a thing of massive volume that just washes over you. And walking away, no lie, I jumped. Well, I think it was my personal best, uh, really, <laughs> as far as high jump goes. I got... I got way off the ground uh, because even though there was a fence and a moat and a hill and people and a sidewalk and everything between me and him, in the moment that he cleared his throat, he immediately let me know who he was and who I was and which one of us was the bigger and in the same way, even though he loves us, even though he protects us, in the moment that God the Father clears his throat, we are reminded who he is and who we are. And he is forever around us every day, helping us to know. And that sense of fear and respect for God, if you maintain it, will richen, will enrich, which is the right word, sorry, uh, will enrich your time with God privately and will enrich your time in corporate worship if you will cultivate that yourself. All that because God the Father has a moment-to-moment -moment intense interest in you and is never far from you. And from the moment that you were born again, you have become a very important project of his. That he's working with you day in and day out. Take hope in that. Take comfort in that. Be a little bit afraid of it. But trust in it with all your heart. Father, thank you for caring about us that way. Help us, Lord, to be a people who walk every day knowing that we are yours and that you are never far away. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.